All right. So I don't have a lot of time. I'm technically just about out of time, um, which works well for today's topic for me. Uh, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're just going verse by verse. Just so happens today we're on the topic of lust, uh, which is very super exciting for all of us in this room together. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Matthew chapter 5. I just want to kind of give us a very quick overview of where we have been. The Sermon on the Mount is considered Jesus' most specific, longest teaching on the kingdom of God and what it looks like to live within that kingdom. Jesus says, and we open this series um, with the passage where he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the uh, yoke in Scripture uh, pertains uh, to the teachings of a rabbi. A rabbi's whole teachings, including the Scriptures, and then their interpretation of those Scriptures was called that rabbi's yoke. And what Jesus is saying is, my teachings are easy and my burden is light. In fact, he even condemns uh, many of the teachers of the law at that time and say, they don't even practice the law, and they have these heavy yokes, and they lay them on people, and they don't help them with that burden whatsoever. But Jesus says, that's not me. If you'll come and follow me. And the Sermon on the Mount is a, a great collection of those teachings in which um, we can understand exactly what that looks like. We followed that up with the Beatitudes, where the Beatitudes really teach us not, it's not really a kind of a quid pro quo. If you do this, then you'll get this. It's really more saying, if you are this, then the kingdom of God is here and you're experiencing it and it is a blessing to you. If you are poor in spirit, if you are meek, if you are persecuted, you are blessed. The kingdom of God is here and it is for you. And then I talked about being salt and light, not just out there being great witnesses, which is certainly a part of that, but we are actually called to ferment the soil of people's lives so that when they receive the gospel, it will take root. And as Jesus talks about the types of seeds, that take root. There's one that takes root in good soil, and it grows, and it produces fruit. And there's some that fall on the rocky ground, and it maybe springs up, and then it dies away, or among the rocks that it doesn't really spring up. And, and so um, Jesus is, is telling us this is how we live our lives, and then he's going to go on and give us a number of topics about what that looks like. Uh, we talked about um, Jesus fulfilling the law, in which he says, I have come to show you what this looks like. And the law is good. The law teaches us how to love God and to love others. And so um, Jesus has come to show us that, not to, uh, to abolish it, not to say it doesn't matter, but to say this is what it would look like if you fully lived out the, lo the law. Look at me and see how that um, would look. And then last week we talked about anger. Um, we get into a couple of meddling sermons from Jesus here. So last week we talked about anger, and he says and opens many of his teaching passages trying to change the understanding that people have of what the kingdom of God is. And he says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. He says that so many times because we get things wrong and Jesus is constantly trying to say, no, this is what it means. You have heard it said, do not murder, which, yes, do not murder because that's one of the Ten Commandments, right? But, he's, but I tell you, if you are angry with your brother or you hate your brother, it is the exact same thing as murder. And and he's teaching us that what happens within our heart matters. What happens within us really does matter. Jesus is always concerned with our hearts and our motives. <clears throat> they demonstrate what is really going on within us. And again, if you're a guest, we have several guests today, so I'm, I keep mentioning them. Um, I have a little cough. Uh, it's not COVID or the flu or anything contagious. Um, I'm just slow getting over a, a, a cough that won't go away. So 
Um, anyways, if you hear me cough here and there, um, I assure you, uh, you're not gonna. I'm not gonna get you sick. So, what is this issue with lust? We read this in Matthew uh, chapter five, verse twenty-seven. He says this: "You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart." If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Now this is a difficult teaching, right? It's a difficult teaching because um, we often misunderstand this. If you're my age or around my age, you grew up um, in a time within the church in which uh, we we called it kind of a purity culture. And in this purity culture, we talk about anything that has to do with desire or attraction or lust um, through the lens that it is all bad. It's all bad. And in all reality, what we discovered um, as those kids grew up um, is that they, they grew into very unhealthy marriages. Because we could, took some things that were very good and we turned them into something very bad and then people didn't really know how to deal with those um, feelings and those emotions. And, I, I, and if you've really committed to this kind of purity culture, you've, you, you've committed to not feeling those feelings and then all of a sudden you get married and you're like, well, wait a minute, now I feel like, I'm, I feel like it's legal, but there's something in me that says this is bad. But then we have Jesus who's speaking very clearly here saying like lust is bad, but he gives some qualifiers. Because we have to keep in mind that when God created, everything was what? Was good. And, and when he created Adam and Eve, he didn't just say everything was good, he said everything was what? Very good. And one of the things that when we approach a passage like this, we have to understand what is the intent of Jesus and how does this pertain to us? And how does this fit into the bigger teaching of Scripture? And what does this mean for those who are committed to following Jesus in the kingdom? And so he gives us some qualifiers that we have to slow down and, and look at these. But, but if, if we don't follow these teachings, Jesus he goes so far as to say it would be better to start cutting off body parts than it would be for you to continue into this lifestyle because it's like you're being drugged down into hell. And if you've ever been in a relationship with someone that struggles in this area, you know what kind of hell that can be. Well, let's just go back and, and look at what he says again. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman. Now this word looks is a very interesting word um, because if you're going to never look at a woman, um, you're going to trip over yourself an awful lot of times. <laughs> But this word look, in the English language, we don't typically define things the way they define them. The, the biblical writers, they had access to such better words than we do. Um, we are very direct, efficient communicators in the English language. We have a few words, and, and we may have nuance, and we may assume something, or we may kind of hint at something, um, but we don't necessarily have the words to, to, to say the nuance. And so this word look is often translated look but you know what else is translated as stare 
Now you already know, I don't even have to talk about this, you already know what he's saying here. He's primarily talking to men in this place, but we know as we read through the rest of Scripture that it's not. this is not just a male issue. And you don't have to watch many TV shows or movies or Instagram or TikTok to know that this issue is a huge issue for our culture. And, and, it, and here's the problem for us in the church that we need to understand. Like, it's not an issue for the rest of the world. Like, this is just normal life. This is how you live. You have a feeling, you explore the feeling. You have a thought, you explore the thought. There is a place within the Christian faith in which self-control is seen as a great virtue. In fact, it's even one of the fruits of the Spirit. And so when what Jesus is literally saying here is, if you stare lustfully at a woman, it is no different than you committing adultery with that woman. And here's the thing. I remember when I was in seminary, I I went through a, a difficult period where a good friend of mine, um, his wife um, had an affair with another student and it devastated my friend. And I, I walked through that season with him. And it was in that season I realized I am ill-equipped to help anyone walk through these types of seasons. And so I, I ended up sticking around a little longer. And at the time, they don't have any more, but at the time they, they had a program for counseling, for clinical counseling. And so I, I stayed around and I... I um, I decided to go through that program, and that program included um, a, a clinical period in which you would actually see clients. And um, for, for, for my group, uh, we saw um, sex offenders. <laughs> so my clinical experience for my, my master's in marriage and family counseling uh, was working with sex offenders. Some who were, they would have to get out of prison they have to get out of jail to come to the group, and then when the group was over, they went back to jail. Uh, some would, were recovering, and but um, it was it was an incredibly illuminating um, and and at times just depressing experience because lust in their lives had taken over. Because here's what happens with lust. And there's a difference, and let me be, be very clear up front, there is a difference between being um, attracted and lusting. My hope for you is that you were attracted to someone before you married them, amen? It was not sin but that you were attracted to the person that you're in a relationship with. That is not sin. Attraction is not sin. This is something that God gave us, and He built within us, and it was very good because God also gave us a calling that you would go and separate and fill the whole earth. And um, let's be honest, a lot of us, if attraction was not part of the equation, we wouldn't be filling the earth, right? <laughs> We'd be doing our own thing. He's pointing out a difference here. There's something that goes on in the mind of a person that stares. My guess is that there's, every woman in this room knows that feeling. You know what it feels like to have been stared at. When you stare, there's something that goes through the mind, and this is the thing that begins to enter into our hearts. There's something that goes into their minds. And the issue with lust, when we get right down to it, is simply this. As you look at the person and you stare, who is that person to you? Because Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law. Jesus would also say later, in fulfilling the law, 
That looks like loving God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. But it also looks like loving your neighbor like yourself. And yet lust comes in and we begin to see people simply as vessels for our own pleasure, not as someone who has been created in the image of God. So there's a difference. There's a difference here. This look is not just a notice. It is not just a, wow, there, you know. I'd like to say I struggle with the stares all the time, people staring at me. It doesn't happen. I tell Deidre it happens, but it doesn't. And and she never believes me because she knows it doesn't happen. So, With that desire comes, if unchecked, an activity. An activity has ruined many marriages. But it doesn't just have to ruin a marriage. It ruins friendships. It ruins your relationships with everyone who's around you. It ruins your reputation. It ruins your witness. Jesus has a way of seeing relationships differently than we typically have a way of seeing them. He is able in one moment to hold in His hand that we were created to have desire for someone else. And that was very good. But He's also able to hold in His hand what it looks like to truly love other people as we love ourselves as equal image bearers of God. And he can recognize that this thing that can be so deadly can also bring so much life in the right relationship. But when that activity and those thoughts and those desires begin to spill into relationships with other people, what Jesus says is it would be better to cut your hand off or pluck out your eye than to let that ruin your life because it will suck you down into the pits of hell. Now statistically, I'm not going to make any assumptions about the room. Like we could be the whole group that's not um, a part of this statistic, but statistically more than half of this room is, is regular purveyors of inappropriate images and videos. Statistically. There was a time when that would have been primarily men, um, but women do not want to be left out, and so you caught up. You caught up. And so as we deal with this reality, if that is something that you struggle with, the reality is, Jesus is saying, it is going to ruin your relationships. It is going to ruin your life. And, and you may think, I've got it handled, and it's no big deal, and this is just what everybody does, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. I mean, you know everybody does that, right? Yeah, I do, and it's killing all of them. I just... I, this is not what people who follow Jesus do because you cannot stare and value at the same time. They become an object for your consumption. Now we just prayed for Ukraine and right now the Ukraine is an object of desire for the president of Russia. He wants to consume it. And as we go, and if we did a word study of lust, which we're not going to do this morning, we would find that lust is not just about sexual desire. Lust is about anything that we desire that we must have and consume. But if you're in this place and you think, this is no big deal, I go to the gym, they don't even know I stare. 
I have this on my phone. No one's around when it's on my phone. I'm going to tell you all those men who sat in my group who had to be ushered from prison because they had their desire had taken root into activity that caused great harm. There was a, there was a time that they said this is no big deal either. This is the nature of this type of sin. It draws you in and it is not content to let you taste of it until you take it all in straight to your heart. This is why Jesus teaches on it. And what is so fascinating is, if you'll remember, this is like Jesus' first sermon. It's not the first, not really, but his first sermon is like one sentence. <laughs> Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But this is his first real sermon. He has not yet called the disciples. He just has tons of people following him around, and he's just kind of he's just lobbing it out there. He's just saying, All right, people, I'm going to introduce to you what this whole thing, your whole history, all of scripture, what it's all about. I'm just going to drop it on you and we're going to see what happens. And he decides right up front to tackle this issue because this has been an issue for humanity from the very beginning of creation. So what's the difference between being healthy and unhealthy? We run down to Genesis chapter 2. And I'm just going to go, I'm jumping way ahead, Jeremy. If we jump down to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. (coughs) Excuse me, sorry. That cough sometimes, it makes me even feel bad about myself. It's like, you ever have one of those coughs and it starts and it just, just keeps going? And you're like, stop, but it won't stop? Anyways, okay. I promise I'm not contagious. I like I sound like a cartoon. Great. Thank you for that. Um, just call me little Pastor Daddy. That's what they all, that's what they all called me all uh, weekend. So, you know, I'm, a, I'm just a character, that's for sure. In Genesis chapter 2, after, he's, after we have this introduction to the creation of Adam and Eve, it says in verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. See, there's a difference in the theology of Jesus in which desire in the, in the, in the arena of a covenant marriage relationship is very good. It's very good. This is one of the problems we had with the purity culture of the 80s and 90s. It's not that purity is bad. It's that it was a misunderstanding of what purity was. And we crippled young families because the very natural thing that God had made to be good, they still felt it was bad within their marriage. But even within a marriage, there has to be a place where you are not just an object for my desire, but you love and honor and hold them up as well. In this covenant relationship, this is a commitment that we make to each other in which we say, I am with you and I will be with you. This covenant relationship is so important because there are just times after we've been together that we, do we not say, I'm not sure about this. Sometimes they call it the seven-year itch or other things, or the, the relationship becomes so toxic that you literally can't stay in it. Paul describes this covenant relationship like this in Ephesians 5.31. He says, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, 
and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There is this leaving. Now here's what's interesting, and we're going to talk about this later. We get to the topic of divorce. Why is divorce so bad? And divorce is not so bad because God said, I told you not to do it. And, and this is where we have to understand the law better than we typically do. God doesn't just arbitrarily say, you know what? Should we let them get divorced or not? No, we shouldn't. You know, he, something happens there. If we look at this, this verse in Genesis chapter 2, leaving their father and mother and holding fast to his wife, this term holding fast, it really is almost this idea of we grab on to each other and we hold. But it's not actually the way that the Hebrews understood this language. They didn't understand holding fast like pulling. They understood holding fast like leaning on each other. Now, now this becomes really important imagery because as we lean upon each other, there is tension. <laughs> At times, that tension gets heavy. Now, we talk about our spouses being our helpmates, and but helping is helping each other as we as we lean against each other. And so, when you remove one, the other falls as well. We'll talk more deeply about that. I am not a believer that no one should ever get divorced. I've sat with too many people undergoing incredible abuse to be able to say to them, you should just stay and take it. It's just, I don't believe that's what God would have them do. And if I'm wrong in this, if that is exactly what God would have them do, I will pay the penalty for, for, for this. In all the ways God has said, we rescue the oppressed, we rescue the hurting, we stand up for those who others continue to take advantage of, I cannot imagine that he is saying, just you're stuck too bad. We'll talk about that more fully later, but that in and of itself also rests in this idea this has to be in right tension. This has to be in right tension. Jesus is concerned with our behavior because it affects us and it affects others around us. And the reason that lust becomes so dangerous and lust becomes such a problem is it hurts our relationships and it changes the way we see people when our desire is practiced outside of God's intended purpose for it, to create life with the person you are in a covenant relationship. That is the purpose of desire. That is the purpose of sex. And God didn't create it after the fall. He created it before when the creation was very good. What we know and what scientists are telling us, especially in unchecked desire, is that it literally changes your body chemistry. Like it, it's, it's not like other sins. Like this sin has an addictive quality to it like, like none of the others have. Your brain begins to release these chemicals and then your body craves the release of those chemicals just like it would a drug. Which is why the idea of porn is one in which it wants to grab you by the ankle 
and drag you to the pit of hell. And left unchecked and without a community to help us to get through that, without an understanding of what it looks like for Jesus to redeem us and to rescue us from our sin, that is exactly what Jesus says is going to happen. Jesus was not saying for those who are literalists in the room that if you lust or if you look at porn, you should cut off a hand or pluck out an eye. I don't think there are any literalists in here that have ever read that passage. I mean, there might be somebody missing a hand in here. This is totally figurative. This just speaks to how severe this is. How serious this is. For some of us, what that looks like to embrace the teaching of Jesus is to get rid of our phones. Or to put software on our computers. Or to unsubscribe from certain channels online. Or to stop watching certain TV shows or movies or even reading books. And it means to create separation between where we are and the thing that would tempt us to sin in this way. And do understand, this sin is so egregious and it is so widespread. This is why if you want to have a successful cable TV show, you will have gratuitous sex in it. I have found that stories that stand on their own don't need it. But even in the absence of a compelling story, gratuitous sex will draw draw an audience. This is why our kids know that um, at any moment (coughs) we could grab their phones and we could look through it. If you have a child and they have a phone, they should not expect any privacy until they're old enough to pay their own bills Pay their own cell phone service. And I've heard parents say, yeah, but they, should, they deserve their privacy. No, they don't. No, they don't. Because I'm going to tell you something. The predators out there that are trying to hook them in do not care anything about their privacy. They want their hearts. So I, we, all our kids know, well, Jake's 21. We don't go grabbing his phone so much anymore. They know it's fair game. And it should be fair game. Lust changes our brains and it traps us when it is not in a covenant marriage relationship. And if you want to kill intimacy within your marriage, invite someone else into it. It will kill it. This beautiful thing that is possible that you can have with each other that God created and said is good, and this is how you're going to spend your lives together. Invite someone else into it, and you will kill that beautiful thing. And if you think, well, but, but, but they don't even know, I'm just going to tell you right now, it's killing your marriage right now, even if you don't realize it. Because it's changing you. And it's changing the way you see your spouse, and it's changing the way you see yourself, and it's killing it right now. It will trap you. We are meant to see the value of others and love them as Jesus does. And that's what Jesus is ultimately saying here. This is something that is so natural that it is God-ordained. This is something that is so prevalent. <coughs> just about. that You may have some developmental issue in which 
that desire is not an issue for you. But that will be very unusual because most people are going to have this desire. It is hardwired into you, and it is very good when pushed in the right direction, but in the wrong direction, it is not. I don't want to belabor the point, but I also don't want to miss the seriousness of how Jesus takes this. Jesus is not saying, you know, you really shouldn't. Jesus is saying this is a death sentence. Which means if you can't go to the gym without looking, you need to stop going to the gym. You need to order some weights and work out at home. It means if you if you walk by your coworker's desk, just it's a little longer, but I just like the view. You need to find another avenue, another route, or you may even need to find another job. That's what Jesus would say. When he's talking about cutting off an arm, what he's saying is if you need to quit your job because you're so tempted, you need to go work somewhere else. It may mean that you need to put software on your computer and you need to have an accountability partner. And maybe it needs to be your spouse, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe it just needs to be another friend. Covenant Eyes is a great tool in which if you go somewhere... Your, your accountability partner is going to get a report and then they're going to call you if they're a good accountability partner. I am hope that I accomplish two things as I wrap up here. I hope I, I communicate how good desire is in the right direction. It is not meant to be seen as, as a sin and when it's in a covenant marriage relationship. It is good. And I'm telling you, it is good. I'm telling you. In the wrong direction, and when our attention goes on to the wrong person, it is a death sentence. You may not feel the consequences yet, but you will. You will. It will have an effect. Jesus is not saying that if you lust, you, you have no chance to follow Him. I, Jesus still had to die. You know, We're still unable to, to keep the whole law. That's the whole reason Jesus had to come. But He's saying, if you, will, if you will discipline yourself, if you will exercise self-control, if you need self-control, the Holy Spirit is there to help you have self-control. God can do a, a wonderful, transformative work within your heart and within your life. If you're someone who you're like, you know, it's I know how bad it is because I've been trying to get out and I can't. I can't I can't stop. I'm I'm just gonna tell you straight up. Uh, what scripture would say to you is this you need to involve other people for to help you. You need to have other people help you. And and we in the church, this is where we have gotten we've gotten so many things wrong when we we hold up this standard of perfection. And if you don't reach it, we judge you and we push you down. No one's going to come say, I'm struggling with porn in that kind of world. That's not our place. Instead, we need to be a place who welcomes struggle and says, I'm with you. I want to help you. We have to be a people that is willing to confess their sin. I would not encourage you to come up here this morning and Get an open mic and tell everyone, hi, my name is Mark and I struggle with porn. I'm not going to suggest that. But I'm going to suggest you find someone 
Men, I would suggest you find an older man. Women, I would encourage you to find an older woman. Someone who's lived some life. Someone who's been around and seen this and that. Someone who can offer real wise counsel and just compassion and grace and love. Oh, this is a tough one. It's a tough one to talk about because we don't typically talk about this kind of stuff in the church. It's a tough one to embrace because it's such a cultural norm today. Um, a lot of us have embraced it. We just embraced it. But Jesus felt that it was important enough that early in his very first sermon, he brought it up. This is how important this is for us. And at the end of the day, if you need a tight bow to a nice bow to put on this, um, the main thrust behind why this is such a sin is because people become an object for your consumption. They are no longer made in the image of God or equal bearers of His image. We cannot love a person and seek to consume them. And Jesus says the whole law can be summed up in loving God and loving people. Alright? Okay. I'm going to pray with you and we're going to close. We're getting out a little late today. Um, thank you for your patience. This has been a good day. It's been a good day. Hard topic for us to talk about now, but it's been a good day. And if you're a guest, I hope you'll come back. Uh, it's not a normal day. Um, we will continue with Sermon on the Mount next weekend. Um, and But I encourage you to be here Wednesday night, 6.30, Ash Wednesday service. If you've never been to one, like there's no pressure. It's like the ashes thing kind of freak you out. Um, I get it. Uh, you can just come and partake, and you don't have to get the ashes on the forehead, right? Um, but if you want to, we're going to do that as well. Okay? Let me pray with you, um, and then we're going to dismiss. Father, God, I thank you for just... I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the good gift of, of desire when it's used in the right relationship. I thank you for that. Father, I thank you for your forgiveness when our look stops being a glance but instead becomes a stare. When our mind begins to work... <coughs> We begin to imagine things we shouldn't imagine with people that we shouldn't be imagining it with. And I do pray for anyone who has been trapped in this cycle within their lives, Father, that You would bring transformation and freedom to them to be free from this sin of lust. Father, let us see this as such a serious consequence that it's not just when we actually have the affair, but when we imagine the affair it is just as if we had done it because our mind has gone there, our hearts have gone there. And Father, I pray that You would bring healing into our marriages, into our hearts, and into our lives. Give us courage to confess when we need to confess. Give us grace when we need to provide accountability, not judgment. And Father, continue to draw us to love others as You have loved us. Thank You for Your grace and I thank You for Your love. And Father, we lift again all of these things that we have prayed together as a community and we, 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 we just lay them at Your feet. We pray that You would be at work in every one of them. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, we're done. Y'all have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday at 6.30 and we'll continue Sermon on the Mount um, next Sunday morning.